Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm usually like going to bed at 8 30. Yeah, you've got to be just a little bit brain dead. Right I, in my defense, I get up really early too, but <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, I'm a, I can see it's getting dark there. Um, yeah, we've been having a bad storm, so you may hear the storm during the recording uh, tonight because we just finished our podcast recording. Um, which yeah. We don't usually do the back to back, but um, we had such a fun conversation. I can't wait to tell you all about it. But before we get to that, I want to hear about your camping trip. Oh, wow. Yeah. We, uh, Tim decided to get me out of town for, I mean, it was a short trip. We just drove out to Colorado, you know, used our van to sleep on the way out there, and then went up to the OB Joyful camping area outside of Crested Butte. Right. It's called OB Joyful. OB Joyful is the, the campground that we were near. And there's just this amazing trail, the OB Joyful trail that goes back into the backcountry there and passes, I don't know how many waterfalls um, that we walked, you know, hiked by and through this gorgeous valley and hiked up to this alpine lake. And we didn't really take like appropriate hiking gear. I mean, we had, I had my hiking boots, which I realized um, at the end of the trip were 13 years old. I hadn't really thought about how old my hiking boots were. <laughs> um, but, and we decided we were going to go for a longer hike and I planned it out, but I wasn't quite sure about the back side of it. And we got to the lake and I was like, well, maybe we should just do an out and back. And up to the lake was like, that was called Blue Lake. Up to the Blue Lake, it was like seven and a half miles from the campsite. So it had been, you know, 15 miles round trip. But we both were like, yeah, let's just go for it. And it ended up being like 20 miles. <laughs> and, it, and it was not an easy 20 miles by any stretch of the imagination. And with about five or six miles left to go, my right sole of my boot, like basically <laughs> unattached, was flapping around. It, yeah. And you, you see the rash from the backpack because it was a book bag backpack that I was, was taking our snacks around in. And we have all the, I don't even know, I don't know why we did that. But in the end, we like took this shortcut to get back 
that I thought was going to be easy and it was not, but I was like, the other way was four more miles. And I was like, I'm not hiking 24 miles. I'm done. So we ended up like hiking down and getting in the river and hiking back up the stream and like entered the camping area through some other guys like campsite. And, you know, he's like sitting there cooking dinner and he looks up and he's like, Hey guys, <laughs> have you been for a hike? <laughs> Tim answers, uh, yeah, inadvertent 20 miles. And he was like, well, that's why you look like shit. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was really, really fun. And it was really beautiful. And, um, it has definitely inspired my hiking bug to go hike some more. So we're going to actually go hike the tall grass prairie tomorrow morning early. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was fun, but it was hard and I was sore for two days after that. Not good. I did one of those inadvertent hiking trips a few years ago. We had gone up to uh, Brevard, North Carolina, which is this gorgeous area for the 4th of July. And on the way home, I was like, oh, I'm going to do like a quick hike because I'm going to be sitting in the car for like three or four hours. And so I stopped and I'm really bad at reading the trail maps. Mm -hmm. And so I like, it was a bunch of trails that all connected, but I took the longer one by accident. And I was like, kind of the same thing instead of an out and back because that's boring I was like mm -hmm. I'll just go around this trail like it's probably not that much further right well one you don't know if you're actually going the correct way so then there's the whole like am I going to end up lost in the woods <laughs> and I had my dog and at one point I would think I was planning to go like three miles I think I went like 12 and at one point she just sat on the ground and was like nope I'm not going anywhere else and I was like you yeah. So, but then we get to like this area where you basically had to scramble up these rocks. Well, she couldn't do it. So I'd have to pick her up, put her on top of the rock. And she's like a 60 pound dog, put her on top of the rock, but it was too high. Like I was having to climb up <laughs> and then she would like sit there shaking on the ledge. Yeah, and I would climb up. Oh my God. I was <laughs> rock climbing with my dog. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should never funny. go hiking together. <laughs> no. Well, and it, you know, Tim was like saying to me at some point, he's like, you, we're, we're kicking ass and think about it this way. How many other 51, 52 year old people could do something like this? And I'm like, that's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop talking. Yeah. You're like, Just shut up. Get us back. <laughs> no, it was my hike. I'm the one that got us out there. So it was all on me. Um, he was the one that came up with the bushwhacking to get, to cut the last, the other four miles off of it, which I was grateful for at the time. So anyway, it was fun, but yeah, we probably should, if we go hiking, we should probably have somebody with us. <laughs> Do they make like, uh, like Wahoo needs to make a hiking thing? Like, like their element, the turn by turn. Well, that's, I mean, I had, we, luckily I had my Garmin Felix watch and then we had our 1030s, which both came in handy. Cause like they the back half of it, the trail would just disappear. So, you know, you were kind of like trying to find where it was by using your watch. I was really glad we had those because I guess we would have just turned around and gone back the other way at some point because the, tra the trail was marked on the OB joyful side. It was just after we got up over the pass and we ended up climbing up two pass. It was like 20 miles and like 45, hundred feet of climbing or something like that. It was really, it was a big day. It was a big sounds day. like a big day. Mm -hmm. um, we're recording so late because you had some meetings about a race yet to be named. How are things yes. going? You know, I'm excited. We've got, um, we're meeting with the Caw Nation next week. Um, we've got, we've had some surveys out and we've gotten a lot of feedback on the name change and, and made some really solid progress in that direction over, over the last couple of weeks and um, are going to make a couple big more strides over the next two weeks, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, it's been, it's really been as hard as the process has been, it's also been really uh, inspiring to hear people's stories about about DK and what the event has meant to them and, and words that they associate with it. So I'm excited about that. And we also have been making some really good progress on the DEI coalition. So um, both of those have been pretty 
it's been good because as, as 2020 has been a stressful year, um, and I've told you before, I'm super grateful for this podcast from the perspective of just getting on here and talking to inspiring people and, and getting to know you better. Um, this, is, this has also been a positive for me this year is having some, um, some of these uplifting conversations and, and looking at the way forward for, for not only this event, event, but other events in the Lifetime family. So I think it's gonna be pretty rad. I sure hope so, it's a lot of work. <laughs> And I'm dying to start sharing like name ideas, but it's too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Too soon. Yeah. Well, it's, I give you all major kudos for doing the hard work and pushing through like what an emotional year <laughs> to do all those things as well. So, um, I want to get to our guests, but before we do, just speaking of inspiring stories, I just want to, wanted to remind folks that we've been, um, recording a little YouTube show with Allison Tetrick. And yep. it's called the Big Girl Shammy Show. And we have two episodes out. And then I think the third one will be coming out this. So we'll come out Tuesday. I think the third one will come out Wednesday. And we recorded an, another one last night. And they're just so fun to hear people's stories of kind of their Big Girl Shammy moments. So um, it's, you have to go watch it on video, but I really encourage you. They're all like, I think the longest one is 20 minutes, which is the one we recorded last night. Um, so anyway. They are fantastic. So it's the Girls Gone Gravel YouTube channel. So, but hey, um, that's a good plan. Yeah, we have a really fun guest today. Uh, this is actually uh, so we have our podcast editor Taylor, and then it goes for quality control to uh, Erica. If you and I were doing this, this would never go through this many layers. So thank God for Live Feisty Media. Um, but it goes to Erica, and she reached out to me and was like, "Oh, you need to have this guest on." Um, she's so inspiring, blah, 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 blah. And I told you about it and then you're like, oh, I know her. And so next thing I know, we've got Meg Fisher on. So uh, you want to tell everybody a little bit more about Meg Fisher since she's another one of your friends? Well, Meg is, <laughs> she's a, a, a para-athlete um, and is a physical therapist, a coach, a motivational speaker, um, an amazing cyclist, a truly um, inspirational human being. And if you've ever been in an event where Meg is, I don't think the woman knows a stranger. Um, her, her outreach, her personality, her energy level is just, it, it's extreme positivity. So um, super stoked that we got to talk with her. Um, and I think, you know, you're gonna find inspiration in, in her stories on this podcast. And there's a hat contest. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she won that too. <laughs> I don't know. I had a strong hat game. Um, you did have a strong hat game. <laughs> I'm going to put a photo on Instagram that people can vote on. Um, oh, God. So go to Instagram and vote on the hat if you're uh, listening to this the day the podcast is released. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get on with our interview with Meg Fisher. Hey, Catherine, I'm so excited that Gooders Come On is one of our sponsors. I know we love Gooders sunglasses because they come in so many fun colors and sassy fun names. Like I got Lance's afternoon uppers. And I got Rose before Brose. <laughs> they're really fun. And they're also performance sunglasses. So they're no slip, no bounce and polarized. They start at a ridiculously low price of $25 a pair. <laughs> Which means that Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing. Nothing! Nothing at all! You do not need a discount when you already have the most affordable performance shades on the planet. So go to gooder.com slash feisty and that's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash feisty now. These glasses even look good with mud on them. Thank you. <laughs> well, we are so excited tonight to have a very special guest. It uh, actually one of our podcast editors. I guess she 
uh, proofs everything. She reached out to me and she was like, oh my gosh, you need to have Meg Fisher on the podcast. She's so inspiring. She's so awesome. So I'm telling Christy this and she's like, oh, I never, I'll text her right now. So <laughs> we have tonight with us, Meg Fisher. Thanks for joining us, Meg. Oh, it's a, it's a fun, oh, it's a pleasure and a privilege. Thanks for having me. And you are on the very special hat edition of the Girls Gone Gravel yes. podcast. <laughs> So um, hopefully we'll put a little video in the Instagram feed so that all of you can see what's going down here. It all started with Christy's hat because she uh, just finished a trainer ride. And then Meg came out with a fabulous hat and I was like, well, I've got you beat. So uh, you'll just have to look at the Instagram feed. You'll have to be like, who wore it best? <laughs> yeah, that's what we should do. Who wore it best on the Instagram feed? <laughs> and Meg's already like Thanks, Meg Fisher. So, uh, Meg, tell us a little bit about your story. I'm getting just from this uh, little you're trying to win the hat war that you're probably competitive. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about your story. Oh, um, it's a it's it's hard sometimes to condense your life into a, a sentence, but I think we'll give you three. I'll give thank you um, for the generosity. Um, I think briefly, I, I, I am quickly, I, I'm here to help people discover that they're capable of more than they know. I think um, I've had my life quite literally saved by other people and, uh, and had role models and people demonstrating what I wanted to do or being that role model for me and helping me get off the couch, get out of my hospital bed, get out of my wheelchair, get off my crutches, get off and um, use the physical abilities that I still have um, to go after my dreams. And so um, professionally and personally, I have become a doctor of physical therapy. I'm, a, I'm also an athletic trainer and a coach and motivational speaker. And so I, I use those platforms as a way to help people break down the barriers that they've set up for themselves and um, reach high. That's awesome. When was your accident? When was that? My accident was June 30th of 2002. So I've just, um, I don't like the word celebrated, but I've just, um, you know, recognized the 18 year anniversary of my accident because uh, in recognizing that day, it also is a remembrance for my best friend and partner, my first love who died in that accident. Um, I was 19 years old. And Sarah was 25. We were driving from Chicago to Missoula, Montana to sign a lease on an apartment. And our car rolled eight and a half times in the middle of South Dakota. Um, from that accident, uh, Sarah died that day from massive injuries. And I was really hurt too. Um, speaking of you know, capable of more than you, you know, uh, the person who saved my life um, worked at the diner down the road. She was, she said, I'm just a grandma, but she's so much more than that. Um, she was the brave one to crawl into the car, to pull both of us out, to clear our airways and to get that ball rolling. So she literally was the first person who saved my life. And that led onto a, a chain of people who have greatly transformed and um, made my life much more rich and able than I ever thought it could because in that accident, I suffered a um, severe traumatic brain injury and ended up in a coma. I had most of my left foot ripped off. And um, I can say maybe it's a, a, a blessing or, or a gift that I was so unconscious uh, that I didn't, I don't remember any of it. I didn't feel any pain of the accident. Um, I woke up later in like a week later in the ICU after um, having been flown by life flight by helicopter um, and had a, having a number of surgeries um, and having to end up removing the breathing tube that was helping me do that thing. Um, and 11 months after that, I had more of my leg amputated. Um, so yeah, what people can't see is that I, I don't have my left leg below my knee on the left. Uh, I have a cool little bald spot on my head where they did brain surgery, which is now covered up by a mane of curly hair. And I only have half of my abdominal muscles. I have a scar as long as my arm on my stomach. So I can't even do a sit up. You've done an enormous amount with your 
18 years since that accident. Um, it's truly impressive. I think, I think I first met you at RPI, didn't I? True. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, just, and you just, you know, blew me away with not only your athleticism, but the insane positivity that you approach life with. It's, it's really inspiring for sure. So I completely thank you for that. I kind of think I reflect you or I try to, cause that's what you present. So <laughs> I have both my legs. <laughs> yeah. I like to say two legs too easy. I love that expression. And we just did, um, my husband and I just did an inadvertent 20 mile hike on Saturday and yeah, oops is right. But as I was like scrambling through that hike, um, your expression totally came to my mind as I was like, what the hell am I doing out here? And why is it so far? And I was just thinking of Meg, two legs too easy. You, you know, she'd be out here doing this shit. Get your butt up the, get your butt up the mountain. Mo. <laughs> Definitely in my brain on Saturday. <laughs> So I'm, I'm curious though, on a more serious note, uh, because I just always find people's resilience so amazing. And so you woke up from a coma a week later and obviously you had a brain injury. So I don't know, like how, what was it like when you were like, realized this is the reality of my life? Like, what did it take to come out of that? What, how did you, how did you deal with that? Like, what was your process? Obviously it's probably, was probably a longer one. So you don't have to tell us your whole Eight, yeah. last 18 years, but I'm just so curious about that. <laughs> well, um, interestingly, when you wake up from a coma, it's not like in the movies. It's not like you wake up and ding, there you are. Um, I think of it kind of like a um, bad disco where um, the lights are like flashing on and off. And so you wake up for a second and you open your eyes and you're like, whoa, where am I? And then you're, then you're, then you're gone again. No idea how long I was out and you know, I mean, I woke up and was pretty, pretty out of it. Um, I had thought my nurse was Sammy Sosa. And the reason that I, so I guess his name's Pete. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> but um, I thought I called him Sammy because I had convinced myself in some story that I was a Cubs baseball player and I slid into home base and in sliding into home base, I'd hurt myself. And that's why I was in the hospital. Um, yeah, so that takes you a while to shake, shake the fog. I mean, I'm definitely better off than the kid that I heard was down the hall and thought he woke up. He was Timmy from South Park. So, um, oh, uh, <laughs> a Cubs baseball player. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm a fifth generation Cubby. So, um, win or lose, go Cubs. And I, I think that speaks to my eternal optimism. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, when the Cubs won the World Series, I had to question my being because here I was like, I cheer for losers. Like I cheer for people who, you know, doing well, doing bad. I don't care. Like I don't cheer for like when they won. I was like, what? Ooh. Anyway, um, so yeah, that resilience component. I mean, at first in the hospital, it is a very much day to day. Like you have certain things that happen and um, you just matter of getting home and then taking, I, I was actually life flighted back home because I was not well enough or able to sit in an airplane or in a car to get back from South Dakota to Chicago. So I had a, um, a, a sweet little plane fly me home. Wow. Um, and then I had more surgery. Um, and so really at first it's just like doctor's offices and surgery. And like when you have a really bad head injury, they say that your nights and days get mixed up. And that's entirely what it was. I also had trouble speaking. Um, I kind of scrambled my eggs a little bit in the area that was with speech. So I had to relearn how to talk. I also was painfully shy to start with. And so part of my frontal cortex, the higher thinking is, was affected. Um, and now I just can't shut up, um, or worse. <laughs> Wait, was, were you like that before or? <laughs> no, no, I was shy. I was quiet. I didn't talk. I didn't like public speaking. I got a whole new personality. Um, That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Brains are so weird and fascinating. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just fascinating.
Yeah, neuroplasticity. There is uh, so much out there. And at 19, I was still pretty young. I was yeah. still developing. Uh, that's partly probably why I, I had an extra dose of resilience because I just a little more bouncy. Um, and I, I had an, I, I don't know what personality might, you know, be more resilient, but I played tennis for the university here in Missoula and I wanted to get back on the court. I would I'd played tennis since I was three. That was my identity. That's how I related to people. That's how I made friends. That was my community. And so I, I really wanted to get back to that. And I remember waking up, um, when you lay in bed tonight, you know, look down at your feet, you're going to see there's two toe bumps. And so when I looked down in my hospital bed and I saw there was only one toe bump, I was like, Ooh, that's not good. That's not good. Um, so I didn't really know how injured I was initially. Um, but you know, you quickly figure it out. And I thought, well, that's, that's going to make tennis really hard, but tennis became my goal. Um, so when I, came back, um, the tennis community embraced me. And um, I would, my friend who was retired, so all my college, all my um, high school friends were off at college. So I was alone, uh, my mom was my rock. And then this woman about my mom's age um, uh, took me in under her wing. And so she would take me to her tennis matches and she would ask for me to coach her. And then I got a job at a tennis club. And before I could even stand, I was out on the court, sitting on an office chair with wheels, teaching little kids. Um, and then also that friend I was speaking of, she would take me to the tennis court on that same office chair with wheels and give me lessons and say, you know, when you get up, be able to stand, when you're able to stand, you're gonna have a great volley. You're gonna be able to have the mechanics beforehand. You're going to, you know, when you can stand. So she, she kind of put these carrots in front of me and um, like Saturday morning tennis drill. It's just great fun. So th those, those groups of people would embrace me or world team tennis. They'd ask me to come back and play. I mean, I, I couldn't move like I did before. I couldn't do what I wanted. Um, and they were the community that pushed me to physically recover, recover and also gave me the, um, you know, the interpersonal connection that, helped me or motivated me to get out of that shell. They, they just didn't let me quit. They didn't let me quit. When did you transition from tennis to cycling? Like, yeah, that, cause it came out of it. Came, I mean, you went back to tennis. Yeah. And then, yeah, then I had this desire afterwards. Um, well, I thought that just because I was missing part of my foot, um, initially, I literally had the, my forefoot ripped off. So basically all the small bones, um, tarsals, metatarsals, if you're geeky in that way. So I had my calcaneus, my heel bone, and my two shin bones. And they had taken muscle from my stomach and skin from my thigh to cover that up. So I just had a really long limb and basically a really rudimentary ski boot was my first prosthesis. And I had this burning desire to be so good that nobody knew that I was injured. Like I wanted, I didn't want to be disabled. I, I, I didn't want to be impaired. I didn't want to be different. I didn't, I wanted to be as good as, I wanted to maybe wear pants on the court and just be strong enough and stubborn enough. Not that stubborn's a bad thing, but I wanted to have that grit so that I was just like I was. And uh, that just, I wasn't, I, I'm not like I was. Um, I had this belief that they'd make a prosthesis, an artificial limb that you know, would be as good as, and my prosthetist very early on said, sweetheart, you'll never be as good as you were. And those words, when, you, when it comes from a medical professional, really could have uh, kind of been the wet blanket that put out my fire. Instead, I kind of said, screw you. Like, who are you? Like, I'm gonna... I don't, you don't know me. I'm going to, I'm going to show you, um, that, that person, I mean, has gone on to become basically like my family. I, I spend Christmases with their family. I go back to Chicago. Like they're my family. They are, um, one might cry, but they are incredibly important people in my life. And John has um, enabled me to be better than I ever was truly. So going back to like, how did I find tennis or move from tennis? How did I find cycling? Um, so I came back wanting to be the tennis athlete that I was. Came back to school, um, tried to be my athletic self and was in a ton of pain. 
And so 11 months after my first amputation, I had my second amputation, a higher level. So I'm one of those lucky people that got to lose their leg twice. Um, so I literally walked into the hospital and then had to use crutches to get out. Um, and I came back to college that fall because I, I, I had my second amputation in late May, early June. So I came back to college that fall and was still on crutches. And I remember my first day off of crutches, I went to a used gear sale where I bought um, a used pair of bike shoes, a used chamois, and a used jersey. And I think, I was like, well, maybe I can ride a bike. Um, so that next spring, so a year after I had that second amputation, that second limb loss, I did my first triathlon. Because I'd always looked up to triathletes, like, how do you do three sports in one day? Not possible. Like, um, yeah, I, so I wanted to do that. Um, and my goal was not to be last in that race. I wasn't last, but I was, I think, seventh from last. But all of a sudden, like, by crossing the finish line, I was a triathlete. So here I'd gone to being an amputee or whatever label, being disabled, and then being able to finish a triathlon. That's it awesome. was monumental for me because all these times like I'd been very able I was the fastest runner on my tennis team I was um I could squat the most I wasn't the best player but I had probably the biggest heart um that's like movement is so vital to me and to have had that taken away um being able to wear that label of triathlete was incredibly empowering and so then I just I did more and more triathlons um I ended up getting a, a running leg so I transitioned my kind of old old man shuffle running gate into like more of a run um i did more and more of those things and then i i actually developed a really big leg problem i developed a neuroma which is a bundle of nerves um and it's incredibly painful and then i couldn't walk uh, it was pretty rough but then i had a dog oh, yeah let's see the wonder dog Betsy so i got wonder dog oh. yeah. I got paired with Betsy the Wonder Dog and she learned how to pull my wheelchair, pick up things I dropped, turn on lights, push buttons. Um, and she was a young like, two and a half year old border collie healer. So she was highly motivated, highly driven and highly energetic. Um, and she helped me when I couldn't walk. And then I wanna just play with my dog. I couldn't walk enough with her. I couldn't throw the ball enough for her. I couldn't, you know, I was limited by my two feet. And I live in Missoula, Montana, where we're surrounded by national forest and wilderness and trails. And I saw people mountain biking with their dogs. And I was like, aha! So that was it. I, went, I started mountain biking with her. And at first, Betsy was way fitter than me. Like, this cannot stand. Um, so Betsy was my motivation, actually. Maybe my own sanity was my motivation because I wanted her to be chill. So uh, I would run out her <laughs> ass and... Um, in doing so, I got fitter. And then I met a new community, a new group of people. Um, from there, they invited me to a 24-hour mountain bike race. Like, I would have never thought about doing something like that. But sure, on a team of five girls, uh, we won. Um, and then next year, I was like, well, I, this, the girls had kind of disbanded. I was like, well, I guess I'll just sign up on my own. And I won. And then um, I came in third overall, and I beat all the able-bodied women and I mean I was the only challenged athlete there uh, oh wait I take that back there was one other challenge athlete there was Sam Cavanaugh he is a gentleman from Bozeman Montana who lost his leg in an avalanche he was at the time on the national team and seeing Sam ride bikes um, uh, he was uh, yeah he actually is an important piece in this because I started yeah, doing 24-hour races, and then I got into Xterra Triathlon, where I was the first female challenge athlete to ever do an off-road triathlon. And I went and did like national, regional, and world championships with Xterra. Um, I also got, I got the attention of the U.S. paratriathlon team, so I started racing with the U.S. triathlon team around the world. But all, while I was doing those things, Sam was kind of planting the seed with the coach for the U.S. paracycling team. And then I got invited to uh, the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, California for a talent ID camp. And, um, and then you went to some Olympics, right? 
Pardon? And then you went to some Olympics, right? Yeah, I went to two Paralympic Games, too. Yeah. That's awesome. Unreal. I mean, I think as a kid, um, I'd seen the the Olympics and thought, I want to do that. Oh, yeah. And I'd seen Bonnie Blair, and I thought I'd be the next speed skater, and then I'd never been on a speed skating track, so that never happened. But then I thought, you know, I'll be the next great tennis player. And then all of a sudden, you're like 21 years old, and all the winners are like 15. So you're like, well, that ship's passed. (laughs) (laughs) That one sailed. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be racing for Team USA. So I didn't even know it was an option. I didn't even know I qualified. Because, again, I still had that, like, I don't want to be disabled. Um, I don't want to be labeled that way. But people are going to label me however they're going to label me. I don't label myself as disabled if I have to check that box to satisfy somebody else in some ways, but also to um, make a level playing field. Sure. I'll do that. Like uh, the Paralympics is great in that you learn, you learn a community. Cause here I am in Missoula, like nobody else really looks like me mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's fine. I'm actually somewhat grateful for that. Cause I have, there's some really cool people in this town and I want to do what they're doing. And so they, they just do what they do, and that pushes me to be better. And I want to, you know, that competitive thing you asked them. I'm like, yeah, I guess I am competitive, and I want to do it as well as them. Or well, I, think, I think you're competitive with yourself. Oh, sure. Like, I don't see you – I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're competitive, too, with other people, but that you're so encouraging and supportive that you want other people to be successful in what they're doing, which is – which is really, um, I think that's an important piece of being a great ambassador and a, and a great inspiration is the fact that support, you know, offering up that support and that and, and cheering others on is, is crucial to be that, to being that type of person. So you do it well. Thank you. Um, you, you talked about obviously like your transition to cycling into this space like what, what have you been doing lately in the transition in the COVID world? I mean, you're a physical therapist, so I'm assuming that that was somewhat inspired by your journey as well. Um, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, you know, with what's going on in today's world, how are you transitioning into what we're doing with COVID ever uh, present? Yeah. Uh, and certainly the, the virus is um, behaving somewhat differently all over the country. Um, I'd like to preface this by saying Montana is closed. No one can come here. Thank you. Um, but uh, Montana is, we are gifted with a lot of space. And so, and lower population than some other places. That said, we have, don't have a lot of infrastructure to support um, welcoming people from other states who are trying to, um, you know, escape quote unquote like hotspots. Um, yeah, most of the outbreaks that we have in Montana are unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, from outside visitors bringing it in. So um, I guess as I speak about Montana, I just have to preface it in that respect. But um, so I was working in a typical outpatient orthopedic like sports medicine clinic, and they had to make some changes in their staffing like people are all over the country. And so I've kind of had to reinvent myself. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity to kind of open myself to other opportunities. Uh, getting to meet people every day in the clinic is, it fuels me because helping them overcome their adversity, helping them reduce their pain, sleep better, get back to what they want to do. Like it's super gratifying. It's like, I can't believe it's my job. Um, so I want to keep doing that. And, and so I've developed um, a mobile PT practice. So I go to people's homes and are able to maintain all the, Kind of strict safety protocol and I've also really spent a lot more energy and um, developing my coaching so I've coached everything for my whole life I mean when I was in college I coached oh what weightlifting tennis uh, kayaking rock climbing uh, mountain biking I've done a, a lot of different coaches and I've coached tennis since I was well, in high school so um it's really fun to kind of tap back into that after having gotten my doctorate, but going back to coaching and fitness and resilience coaching is, it's also incredibly rewarding. Um, I have clients that I take mountain biking clients. I take swimming. Like I just, I, it's a dream come true. Um, and so I'm, I'm doing that more and more. 
who knows? Oh, I got to do motivational speaking to Germany the other day. How cool is that? Like that, I, technology is a cool thing. I couldn't go to Germany, but I was in Germany. So, um, yeah, uh, just trying to find ways to, um, kind of pay it forward. I've had so many people help me and lift me up that if I can use my story that, uh, and I wouldn't recommend losing your leg. Like it really, it's not that cool. But if somebody can use my visual scars, my visual adversity to reflect, you know, the obstacles that they are, they have had to or are struggling with right now. If I can be that visual representation for them and put a word to that or put a picture to that, shoot dang, I'm a lucky kid. I'm curious uh, because you race gravel now and uh, do you, uh, do you find many other um, Paralympic or para, para athletes? What's the proper word? Sorry. I don't function very well after 8, 8, 8 p.m. and it's 8.06 in Georgia. Um, para athletes within the sport of gravel. Um, and, you know, like what are you hoping to see as far as growth um, with Paralympics or para? <laughs> Agree. I'm really into the pair. I'm like, I want to ask so many questions about the Olympics, but I won't, but perhaps. Yeah. Um, so in just as a by the by, like in the Paralympics, athletes are classified based on their physical impairment. So mm -hmm. therefore, and I liken this to wrestling weight classes, like you wouldn't have the 200 pound senior wrestling the 100 pound freshman. Like that's not fair. Of course, okay, so they make weight classes to make that equal and um, level the playing fields for athletes. And that's the same thing that happens in the Paralympics. Um, for each sport, there's a different classification system, again, so they can make the each competition equal and fair. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's awesome. Like The Paralympics is often better attended than the Olympics, and it is every bit as professional and high level and there is i would say it's cutthroat like it is highly competitive um athletics it's so exciting and uh getting to be a part of team usa for nine years i can't believe that that was my journey and moving forward into gravel um i'd love to see more people with physical impairments join whether that be tandem with visually impaired athletes in the back as a um, stoker and a, a sighted person as a pilot. Um, perhaps um, with some recumbent cycles, uh, maybe that's like a tricycle or, uh, yeah, recumbent is also a three wheel, but um, uh, a upright tricycle is also um, a level of competition or a bike that's available to athletes. Um, people with limb loss or neurological disorders, whether that be uh, post-polio type syndrome or um, MS or um, some level of spinal cord injury. It's not uncommon for people who have spinal cord injuries to be ambulatory. I think that that's really fascinating for people that just because you can be paralyzed does not mean you can walk. And so oftentimes people who can't walk well can use a tool like a bicycle to be successful i mean that machine is so enabling and can be adapted in so many ways to enable people to access their physical fitness and that um, movement and uh, endorphins all those things and this community as well so i i just i would love to see um more people out there as a representation that draws more people out there, which draws more people out there because nobody likes to get beat by the one-legged girl. We'll just say that. So if that, if that forces them. Well, you're a girl and you're one-legged. So I know, I know if I'm, if I'm passing you, you got to find another gear. You got, you just got chicked with one leg. <laughs> so, um, I don't like, like, necessarily try to um, hang that over anyone's head. I mean, I have ridden bikes for a long time and that's something I do relatively well. Yeah. But if you need that for your own motivation, cool. And yeah. I, it kind of goes back to like, if you want to do something and you see like somebody like me doing it, please know that you can do it too. Like if I'm taking the stairs, you could probably take the stairs too. If I'm riding my bike and you maybe haven't tried it maybe thought you wanted to, Go ahead, try it. You probably can do it. But if you don't want to ride 200 plus miles through the Flint Hills of Kansas, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. That is fine. I'm not telling you to do it. If you don't want you to can do the 20 miles. 
Well, I'm just saying like, yeah, but that's saying that there are other options out there. But if you don't want to do like three days of the queen stage at RPI, cool. I'm not telling you to do it, but if you want to, you can, but mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. You know, one of the best moments at DK happened a couple years ago. We have the, the division for the tandem division force cited with visual impairments and <clears throat> the first place overall tandem team that won when the, when the um, captain was bringing the stoker up and the stoker had his, you know, hand on, on his arm yeah. and guiding him up the steps and he had his cane and was, was blind. The, I mean, the audience, the whole entire house was yeah. on its feet yeah. and tears rolling down people's faces. And I was just like, it's just, it was incredible to, to witness that moment. Like, and that guy's like, you know, had to be a pretty big moment for him too. stand on that top step at the podium. So definitely, it's pretty rad definitely. for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. How, what are some suggestions you would have for race directors or even maybe local people that are writing locally and are thinking about how to make their groups just more open and welcoming um, to handicapped athletes, you know, to people that aren't just like them. What can uh, we do better? Tell us. I don't have a, a crystal ball that, or a, a clear rubric or decision-making tree, but I often believe in that. You would like that by the time this podcast comes out, please. Okay. <laughs> I'll put that on my to-do list. Tuesday. But, um, that, I really want to talk through with race directors how that can happen and how that can take shape. I think a lot of times we hear things like there's not enough people in a, in a classification, whether it be an age group or, um, you know, pro or um, amateur levels. Like how do we make another classification? Then that's another medal. Like we're not trying to reward just participation. Um, and I can respect that as well, but I do believe it's kind of a, if you build it, they will come type of thing, or there can always be an, uh, an N minus one type situation that like, if there's two people, then there's one winner. Or if there's three people, there's two winners or something along that line. Uh, again, I do think compared to like the Paralympics, it'd be really difficult to make all of the physical impairment classifications. I can also see why that's challenging. Um, the Xterra organization um, has kind of gotten away with that for not gotten away, but, um, uh, move beyond that by just saying challenged athlete, which I, I do believe um, para-athlete is more appropriate and more globally recognized. But that said, like, they welcome anybody because the event is almost self-selecting for some physical impairments. Uh, but I think it's important that there is a classification, there is a medal there because that maybe lets people know that like, oh, even if somebody hasn't done it before, even if it's never, no one's ever entered that category, have the 90 and older age group, right? Like maybe it's a one mile, 500 meter, um, something short, like fun walk. Like all of a sudden you have these, you, you invite somebody who hasn't thought of it and been like, all right, I'm going to ask my grandma. Grandma's going to come run this race with me. We're going to do this together. Or somebody's going to see like, oh, there's a para category. I'm going to ask my friend who just had a stroke two years ago, who's been really struggling with some, I don't know, you name it. Um, and that might be their impetus to be like, let's train together. Let's team up on this. Maybe we ride a tandem together. Maybe I help you find your own bike or help. I, maybe I help you get linked up with other organizations because there are tons of them out there now. And so I am super eager to talk with race organizers. You can find me and email me at gomegfisher.com, um, at gmail.com or at gmail, excuse me. Yeah reach out to me. Let me help you get people that look like me or similar to me because um, cycling changed my world. And I, I, I speak of it kind of like a religion, but whether it's running, whether it's walking, whether it's climbing, kayaking, rafting, walking, I don't know. Uh, I think it's super important. It's transformational. So how can I help you do what you want to do and do what you do better? That's awesome. I, I know me like the last few weeks on the podcast, we've had, we've had our podcast producer, Taylor, who is a black woman. And then we've had 
um, a non-binary athlete. And it's just been so interesting for me just to hear people's stories and go, you know, like if you just start putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, you have so much more compassion and you go, why aren't we making a space for everybody? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a, I think of gravel as an inclusive sport. I think of the DK start line as an, as an inclusive space, but that doesn't mean that we haven't done all the work. Um, you know, I'm excited out of this whole thing that's happened with DK, our DEI coalition, you know, Meg's going to be joining us on our journey there. Um, but I'm excited to get to look at all of the lifetime events and figure out ways to be more inclusive. Um, and I had somebody say to me, kind of talking about the participation thing. And I'm like, what the race isn't going away the competitive race part, you're still going to get to do that. Just, you know, by opening this up and making it more inclusive doesn't take that away. That still happens. What, I don't understand why you're having a problem with, with the idea that we're trying to include or make people know that they're welcome. That's all we're doing. Um, we just need to do it better and, and make sure that our messaging is, is stronger in that invitation. So. I think it will only enrich the, the, the event experience for everyone involved. Everybody. I, I can't imagine it. Well, that, that story of the, of the audience standing up when, when the blind participant was on the top step of the podium, that was inspiring. When we opened up last year, we, or 2019, we made, we finally made all of the categories match the women's side. We'd had, we'd had these different age groups because of what you were saying about, you know, participation numbers mm -hmm. and the largest group last year that got the standing ovation was the, the, um, what was it? 60 plus women category. Yeah. You know, there were only two women in the cat. There were three women in the category, only two mm -hmm. of them finished. So they both were on the podium and right. everybody in that audience. I'm like, you may say that you don't want to see that, but you sure as hell do when you see them up on the podium and you see how proud they are of yeah. what they accomplished. It's huge. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was a little surprised not to see Leo up on the podium though. I'm going to say like, I think that that might've, uh, would have been really cool to see him up there. Cause he like, he didn't, he didn't do the course. He didn't do the course. No. Oh, he disqualified himself the next morning. I'm so sorry. I didn't That's know. Okay. Um, no, it's totally fine. I mean, I'm, he was there. Like I was there catching him at the finish line. It was, it was an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from his day on the bike because it was insanely hard. Um, yeah. I mean, they took a, they took a shortcut because he was having trouble and it ended up not being that. And, you know, uh, but in, in his catch up with him, yeah. I was wondering, cause I, I, um, I mean, I, uh, like as a, a cut into the podcast, I think this could be a cut. Like I just, I, I, I think it, really would have been neat last year had there been a, a para-athlete category. Um, and so, uh, no, I agree. I'm, I'm not trying to like say like I, that took away anything from my experience or I'm just, oh. or, or, or I went there for any, uh, pat on the back other than just to see if I, like, I had no idea if I could do 200 miles and for, um, DK to allow me to come and salsa or well, niner to help me get there and gore. Like I, uh, anyway, Sorry, that's a, that's a total aside. That was a personal conversation. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like, no, no, I think the, I think it's a great conversation. Um, yeah. you know, I don't, I, we're as an event director, I want to keep learning and I want to keep being pushed. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. Like what crazy. Do you mean? I am quite convinced that you are perfect. This Christy, just so you know, in my eyes, <laughs> you are perfect. You need glasses. <laughs> You wear yours just for yeah. show, I'm sure, right? I mean, those are just things. No, that, this is old age on my face. Okay. So, oh well. Well, I'm just super excited. Like, I, I, I kind of just kind of goes back to my my ideas. Like, I think as race directors, and this is not meant to at all be directed at at, at you, Christy, or or DK, or or any of the oh, lifetime yeah. events. It's just that I, I, I think, like, how do you build something that doesn't exist? You build mm -hmm. it, and so. Um, 
you like that journey of a thousand miles starts with a step. So how, how do you invite people start, um, to come back to the other conversation? Like you just have to just do it. And I think it's always painful and hard and means it's more work, but hopefully it's rewarding for the people that it touches, if that makes sense. So I we think it a little differently with the single speed women's category <clears throat> a couple of years ago was that the challenge. Yeah. A couple of them messaged me and wanted to have the single speed category and yeah. talking through it with Jim, he was like, we're not just going to make a category for two or three people. He was like, if they get seven, if they, if they get seven, we'll put a category in. So I went back to the group and I was like, what can I do to help you get seven athletes? And they were like, we got it. And yeah. they took the challenge on themselves. And I do think, you know, in my mind, the lesson I learned from that was that there, there can be a partnership there. You know, it doesn't have to all come down from the race director saying, here's this category. What it can be, though, is like, we want to have these categories. We need help recruiting people to show up at the start line. Can you help us? Um, I really appreciate that conversation because I, I've raced in, I don't know how many, uh, we call them able-bodied events, mm -hmm. uh, and never have had a conversation like that. And I think that what Jim or you just outlined like trying to work in a partnership to, to build a category or to, to build the sport, literally build the sport. Um, that's exactly how it needs to happen as far as like, to know that well, there's a, like, and there is a community. You know, and well, that's one of the things that, that I want this, the DEI coalition that we're working on to do is to not just, I mean, not just challenge the athletes, but even challenge the industry. So to salsa, help us find, athletes that look like these categories that, that we're wanting to do. I mean, challenge the industry too, and give them the platform of the events um, to raise awareness and, and help us grow it. Because technically my job is to put the event on. Right. But, you know, I mean, so it's like, I've got to have the partners that help us grow those other athletes. We can make the, we can, we can do the incentives, we can do all of those sorts of things, but at the bottom line, it's like, you know, I, I can only bring what I can bring. I'm gonna have to rely on those industry partners to, to help make that start line look more diverse. Um, and then that just grows the inclusivity. I, that's, that's the way my brain works it out. So oh, we'll see. So. I think that's incredibly enlightening because uh, I think, all too many times I kind of get wrapped up in, in sport and mm -hmm. especially when you're racing on the national team to some extent, like you're just like, I just show up and I race yeah. and magically yeah. happens. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Like, um, and, uh, I think sometimes a lot, a lot of even amateur athletes lose sight of what it takes to make something appear. Um, right. and so, it doesn't just appear and maybe my comment of like, well, you got to do it, I guess doesn't, isn't. Um, no, it's, it's valid. It's just like, there's this, the step beyond that is okay. Let's, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Like let's do it. Yeah. Right. We're going to do it. We're going to do, do it. it. We're going to do it. All right. Everybody heard it. It's going to happen. Oh, partner. We're going to do it. <laughs> Glad we got our hats on. We got our hats on. We got our do it hats on. We do. Um, well, this has been so great, Meg. Thank you so much for your time. And if people want to find you to talk to you as race directors or uh, your motivational speaking or your coaching business, you have a website. Is that correct? I do. It's super catchy. It's gomegfisher.com. Awesome. How do you spell Fisher? Oh, just like a fish. F-I-S-H-E-R. No extra letters. Yeah. Don't have time for that. Just like a fish. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Meg. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I follow your Instagram. I listen to your stories. I listen to your podcasts. Um, I'm a huge fan of what you do. So uh, thanks for letting me share the night with you. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listening platform. Our producer is Taylor Mahan Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.